0: Malachi chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 13. Now I want you guys to raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. We're going to have some of our interns come down and bring you a Bible. This is our free gift to you if you don't own one. If you just need one today to follow along, do that. I had a really helpful and healthy critique of my sermon last week that I read the scriptures far too fast and that I jumped from text to text Uh, far too fast. And and here's the problem with that is I say, I want you to follow along, and then I just go blah, 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 and never give you a chance to actually do that. And so when it comes to the word of God, we think it's important. We really do. It's not just lip service, that we have it, that we read it, that we open it, we can navigate it, and we do that together even here on Sundays, okay? And so turn to Malachi chapter 3, we'll be in verse 13, and we'll spend most of our time in that text I think there might be one or two we'll pop over to, uh, but you'll even see those on the screen as we go through it. If you're not familiar with even what Malachi is, it's the last book in a series of books in what we call the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew scriptures. It's the scriptures, the Bible that the the Jews use, right? So um, the Old Testament, but we still see it as part of the Holy Scriptures for the church today. Uh, And so we've been navigating through this book called Malachi. Malachi is a prophet and a prophet is simply he hears from God and he speaks to the people on behalf of what God is saying to the people that they might know him, follow him, live for him, the whole deal. Now what we've seen in this book is up to this point five different disputes between God and the people of Israel around how they're living and how they're following Jesus. Today we step into the last one and I'll tell you uh, I had someone come up to me last week after the service and say uh, let me get the this is the worst best series I've ever heard right Uh, and I'm so happy they threw in the best because that would have hurt my feelings but um (laughs) It's the worst, best series that they've ever heard. And I I said, well, could you explain that a little bit? Uh, And they just were getting to the point of, of honestly, what my heart's been experiencing, too, of, man, this is, like, really good stuff. Like, the conviction level, at least for me, from the Spirit of God, is at, like, an all-time high, right? Like, like day to day, I'm like, I I need to think through this, and, and there's this, and thank you, Lord, for your grace, and the cross. Like, the whole deal, it's just really... Resonating with my heart and mind, and it was with him as well. But at the same time, this stuff has not been easy to hear. When God is calling out Israel, and we're not trying to say, let's pull this into 2020 healthily, it calls out some of the same idols. And so as we deal through how do we handle relationships in our life, specifically the ones with God and and our spouse, how do we deal with our money when God comes and confronts us about his resource and are we stealing it from him? Like this is difficult stuff for us to wrestle with. Um, He's going to land on this last dispute with Israel, I think with the heaviest of them all. And so I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Verse 13 starts like this. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You've said, it is vain to serve God. What's the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant, blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. And so God zooms in again on, his, on this kind of conversation he's having with his people. And he says, listen, you guys, you, you dishonor me, you despise me, you've been hard against me, harsh against me. And, and the people in kind of similar fashion as the rest of the book, they say, yeah, but how? How are we being harsh with you, Lord? And he says, well, you've said that it's vain, it's vanity, it's pointless to serve me. And hear me, at the very heartbeat, okay, of the people of God, their very identity, okay, was wrapped up in service and allegiance to God. And so this is not just a, we don't like to do this stuff, it's, it's really this rejection of Him because they're not getting what they want out of it. God, God what, what's the point? Like, we'll serve you, but, but, but it's not even doing us any good. Do you know that right now there's people hungry? Uh, Do do you know that life isn't easy for us right now, God? And so you want me to serve you, but but the end product isn't what I want. And so what's the point? And to double down, Lord, it's not just that I don't have everything I want. It's that the people over there that despise and outwardly reject you, they're getting the goods. So God's saying, like, th- this is, this is the, per- like, the movement of the heart of the people of God is, God, we don't want you because you're not giving us the end product that we desire. Which calls into significant question all sorts of aspects of Israel and of the people of God. Why, why are they his? Why, why are they following? Like, all these years of the faithfulness of God. And here they are, just grumbling and complaining. Now, here's, here's a significant problem in their argument. Is if you're familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, there are very, very few times where you would look to Israel and say, no, y'all were following God right. Like, y'all were doing this the way God was asking you to do it. Like, from Genesis, right, you get to Genesis 3, and then you move to Malachi, which is the first book and the last book about the story of the people of God named Israel in the Old Testament, right? And over and over and over and over again, it's no thank you. It's not even no thank you. It's, God, we will do whatever we want to do with bits, certainly of righteous worship and holiness. God raising up men and women that would be faithful. And so the story has not ever been about the faithfulness of God's people. It's been about the faithfulness of God, not because of them, but in spite of them. And so, God, now getting to the end of his conversation and dialogue with Malachi to Israel, getting to the end of his word to the people of Israel. Notice this, after this letter, God goes silent for 400 years with the people of Israel. That that, that from the beginning, there was always one that God was speaking, communing, and talking to that the people of God might be faithful and follow. But for 400 years after the book of Malachi, God goes silent. And so this is his final word to his people. You ever, you ever think about, like, if, if you knew, right, like, uh, you're setting up, you have a friend that's moving away, right, like, you see a friend going, you usually try and come up with something profound to drop on him. Like, some type of, I love you, and, and this, is, this is what I hope for you, and, and the whole deal. So this is what we get from God in this last little bit. And it's this conviction that's meant to draw them back to him. This is not judgment for judgment's sake. It's a call out and a conviction that the people of God would hear, heed, and then return to the God that they are aligned with, that they are, have allegiance with, right? And so then the call out becomes to us here pretty soon, and we'll get to that in just a moment. The other piece of this is just, how often, right, do we treat God the way that Israel is? God, God, like, yeah, I'll I'll do the church thing, but why is this not working out? God, God, like, I'll follow you, like, I'll I'll align with you, I'll say I'm a Christian, um, but how come life hasn't gotten easier? And I'm just going to give you a really bare bones. he never promised that. In fact, for the church, he said really just the opposite. He said, no, 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 like if you follow me, they're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. We said, well, God provides every need for us. Yeah, he provides every need for you, not every want. We talked about that last week. And so how, how do we then begin to navigate and wrestle with this same story and same interaction that Israel wrestles with? Because what comes after this for Israel is not repentance, but will it be for us if it's there, right? Some, I'm not, I can't judge you individually, but I will judge our church. And I don't even mean redemption. I mean i mean the church at large. We need a movement and a repentant heart as we continue to move back to Jesus. And so in this, maybe we can learn some things. Now, um, Verity uh, and I, where's my, I love, um... Verity and I, like, so she just had her birthday on the 13th. She just, I'm not going to say, she's young. And, <laughs> and so there's always these moments in marriage. Anyone who's married, honestly, if you just have friends, right? You have a friend, you have a spouse, you have someone come to you and say, hey, can, can you do this for me, right? Like, and it can be anything. Like, just think about, like, you know, a, a task, a favor, a kind word. Can you do this for me? Now, my response should always be absolutely and yes, but at times it's, it's, it's no, or I come up with an excuse, or um, all these kind of things, and, but oftentimes the, the, the question in my mind at least is like, well, why, why, why do you want me to do that? Why should I do that? Right? And, and that's really stepping into the story here of how um, Israel is asking, that, like, why should we follow you? What's the benefit here? What's, what's the good for me? So in that, in that relationship, when Verity comes and she asks something of me that requires something of me, my time, my resource, talent, whatever it may be, um, that question can be a wrestle in our hearts, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. Well, what, what's in it for me? Like, if I do this thing for you, what's in it? Why should I do this? That's the question that Israel is asking. And it's the question that I think we ask ourselves when we follow God. And I'm going to tell you this, the answer that Verity, the only, the only answer that Verity need give right there is because I'm your wife, period. There doesn't need to be commentary to it. There doesn't need to be a description. There doesn't need to be a case made. She doesn't need to present evidence. It's I've asked you to do something for me. And the reason why you do it is because I am your wife. We're in covenant together. Like I, I've literally made vows to this woman before a whole crowd of people that I would cherish and honor and serve and bless and on and all the stuff everyone's ever heard at a wedding. Vows before God and before friends. So her only response need be, oh, I'm your wife. So hear me, church, then. As God calls Israel out, he's calling to the church. And listen, we might say, well, God, but why? Like, why should we follow you? The first answer, the only necessary answer, but he gives more. But the only necessary answer is simply, because I'm God. Like, because I am God, I made you, I thought about you and and formed, like, I'm God, like there has to be amongst the people of God, this movement towards reverence for the fact that who we're worshiping and what we're about is not some random statue or, or kind of false, it's, it's the God of the universe, that's answer number one and, and we're going to see that work itself out as God uh, continues his conversation with Israel, he says this in verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Now, there's a transition here. Just real quick, look at me. Um, There's a transition here in the text where you had that first group where he was addressing Israel and all their disobedience and all their uh, kind of whatever, why should we follow you? And now he's moving to this second group, this second kind of theoretical group that exists that we're kind of a fly on the wall to listen to. And so again, verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. This was a bit of a scandalous part of the prophecy from Malachi. Because what he's doing here is he's creating two groups within the one group that is Israel. Okay, He's addressing all of Israel, but he's now dividing them into two separate groups. You had group one, which we already spoke of whined and complained and bickered, God, what have you done for me lately, right? And then this second group that fears the Lord. And so he's creating this dichotomy amongst the people that is very intentional and is calling Israel out to say, you might all be Israel, but you're not all my people. And that is scary stuff. we might all be in the church, but are we his? Wow. Now, this isn't just Malachi, like, dealing with this question. This is, you get to the New Testament, this is Jesus, as we see, speaking about at the end of days, when he returns, that there's going to be people who will come before him and say, like, Jesus, like, we've done all this stuff in your name, and then Jesus's response to those people is, yeah, but I never knew you. Uh oh, right? Like, yeah, you, you you said all these all the right things, and you showed up to the right stuff, but I don't know who you are. Like, here, like I've been a Christian now for fifteen years, and this stills and shudders down my spine. And I I believe in the perseverance of the saints. Like, I believe, like, I'm in, and I'm good, and Jesus has covered me, and I'm reborn. But there's still, there's some trembling that I think is intentional that the second group here gets right. Because the first juxtaposition between group one and group two is there were those who feared the Lord versus those who did not. Eight times in the book of Malachi, Malachi refers to and calls the people to fear him. And we've talked about this before, but just in a snapshot, this is not just just reverence. It's not just awe. It's also like, dang, that dude could destroy me. Like that guy made everything. Like, you know, and I've said this before, but my pop always said, like, I brought you into this world, I can just as easily take you out, like that type of deal. Like, there's a real fear to that. Some of you guys, and probably for some of your own kids, you don't understand this, but there was a time discipline in the home was, well, wait till your father gets home, okay? So some of us knew that, and it was just hours of fear about what was to come upon the return of pop, okay? Okay, there's, a, there's a movie, seen, this is off track. I'm sorry, but Christmas story, y'all seen that one? Where that little kid, like the little brother's hiding underneath the sink, and he's and he's just in there, like, what's wrong? He says, Man, Daddy's gonna kill Ralphie, right? He's afraid dad's gonna come and kill his brother. Like, that's fear. That's that's reverential fear. Now, was he right? No, like was but hear me. I don't think it's too far off from where intentionally we should posture ourselves. That we deeply know the holiness and righteousness of God. And that in that there would be this tremble of, like, gosh, he he could just, he could wipe this whole thing clean right now. Done. Like full Thanos over everybody. he's calling out Israel and saying, guys, you think you're all Israel. You're not. You think you're all my people. You're not. My people fear me reverentially and hear me. They know I'm God. And so that fear, it's based in what it's it's based in a truth of who he is. There was a, a TV show years. I think it was like back in the early 2000s. Uh, so some of you guys, that's not years ago, but for me, that's like I was uh, like, I don't know, in college or high school, and there was a show on MTV called Fear, and what they would do is they would take, I think, like four or five random people that signed up to be on this show, and they would drop them off in like haunted, insane asylum, and then they would have to live there for three days, like through the night, and uh, <laughs> some people are like shaking their heads right now, like, mm mm-hmm, nope. Um... <laughs> And they'd have to live there for like three days, right? And it's called fear. And then you'd sit in there and they're recording the whole thing. And I remember thinking, even as like an 18-year-old being like, put me on that show. Like I would be the most annoying contestant. (laughs) Like I'd be singing and just be jovial. And here's why. Because I don't believe in ghosts. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, but, but demons are real. And I'd say yes and amen. But I'd say, I think they got better stuff to do than promote MTV's TV show right? So so of you go, no, it's demons. They don't care about that. Believe me, they're too busy tricking you and me into thinking our lives are okay. Fear is based in a right understanding, true fear. And it's meant to be a gift to us, not something to flee from, but a gift to us to show us something is off. And hear me, the thing off between us and a holy God is we're not Him, and He is perfect. It drives us, that, and that is, a, hear me, that is a healthy thing to feel. So that's the first one. There's fear. There's no fear. The next one is um, the the first group defames the name of God. The second group esteems the name of God, holds His name and His personhood of high honor, respect. You see, no, notice the context is verse, happening. Uh, verse sixteen: The Lord paid attention and heard them. So in other words, there were people gathered around, just talking about the goodness of God, just celebrating who He was. They knew Him. Because he's real and true and good. And then they're like, hey, let, let's, let's just talk about how great God is. Let's esteem him in our words and in our actions. And God says, yeah, th- those are my my people. Esteem my name. The next one is uh, service for purpose sake versus service for me, which leads to vanity. The second group seems to view service through a lens of no, there, there's something bigger than me that's involved. There, there's a reason to the service that goes beyond my individual wants, my individual needs, my individual life. God is doing something far greater and bigger with our service. And it's not meant to be this, this like warm and fun and happy thing always. Sometimes it is that, and praise God that's true. Sometimes service is a grind. But hidden underneath it is always joy. And why? And we've said this here often. Psalm 14. In the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Where God is, joy is. So that doesn't mean it's not. It could be like the worst I hate, I remember this for this guy. I'm not even gonna get the story, but it was a terrible situation and we did it and we were singing the whole time. Why? Not, Not because it was fun to shovel grain. That's like the worst. We gotta be with brothers and sisters and encourage and help out a woman who had just lost her husband. Sometimes service is just flat out not something we wanna do. We just wanna curl up and watch some Netflix. We just want to go to a coffee shop and veg out. And hear me, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with either of those two things. But there is something wrong when the people of God refuse to serve him. When the people of God say no to when God's saying, come and follow, come and serve, come and bless, come and be about the things that I'm about. The second group says, yeah, let's serve with joy and gladness. The first group, the one who is not his, says, no. So there's a reality as we look across the landscape of American Christianity, and I shared some numbers with you last week, that still to this point in time, 80 to 85% of Americans would still kind of claim Christianity. Most of them aren't even here on Sundays. When you look at the total population of people attending service with any kind of frequency, which means once a month, it's about half. And what we're learning here is that the simple thing of just showing up here on Sunday and thinking that checks the box and then that makes you God's people, then that's not a good rubric. It's also not the only thing. That doesn't mean if you're here four times a week that that does it. And it doesn't mean that if you're here zero times a week um, that you're not a follower of Jesus. It's just that this moment is a moment to move, it is a means to the end of following Jesus. This is not the end. Do not come here, hear me, and and this is a great line, I heard this once from, I don't remember who said it, but hear me, if, if we from the pulpit, if we as elders and leaders here at your church, if we tell you anything less than following Jesus with your whole life is what it means to be his, not just here, but forever, then all we're, if we don't tell you that, then we're basically just telling you to fund your own way to hell. Give us your money. We'll we'll give you just just enough to have you kind of teetering on the edge of being his. But that's, that's not what we want. We want to take the scriptures seriously that call out Israel like they call out us. Say, Lord, have mercy on us. The last thing is The second group is going to see salvation become God's treasured possession. The first group will not. We learn more about that as he wraps up the story in Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. There is a day coming. When we will be held to account to the life that we live. When there will be an identifying of group one or group two, destinations set before God. Tim Keller and also um, N. T. Wright, quoting and kind of referring back to Jonathan Edwards. So a lot of names I just dropped. Um, See, so yeah, I read and. Uh, said this about this idea of like the fire and brimstone stuff because because there's often this like, well, I mean, fire. I mean, is it really going to be fire, right? That type of idea. They said this. To say that the scriptural image of hellfire is not wholly literal is of no comfort whatsoever. The reality will be far worse than the image. Now, this is not a, please hear me, this is not fear tactic. Like, that sounds so awful. Let's make sure we figure out how to not have that. But I'm also not saying that shouldn't be a thought in your mind, because it was something that God communicates, communicated to Israel, and Jesus communicated to his followers. This is real. It's not just something that, like, church leaders drummed up To get you to be complacent, which is oftentimes kind of the real kind of progressive progressive anti-Jesus tagline. Oh, we've just come up with this thing. They came up with it in history so that they could get you to do whatever you want. No, because it hasn't even worked. You guys still do whatever you want. So do I. God tells his people about it. Jesus told his people about it. We tell our people about it. why. Because it's just real. And the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze as a Lord of hosts. Some of us immediately move to, thank God I'm not evil. I'm evil. Like, I am a sinner. I choose me 99% of the time. Even when I'm choosing God, I hate it, but there's this motive of, but this will be pretty good for me too. I do things that I know will hurt other people. I don't want to, but it happens. I don't treat my wife and kids with the patience that the Lord treats me, with the kindness, with the love. We share this here often also, James 4, he who knows the good that he ought to do and does not do it is in sin. There are things I know the Lord has said, go love this person, care for this person, do this, do that, et cetera. And I've said, no, thank you. I'll keep my comfort. That's sin when God calls scripturally, just read the book of Romans, or at, forget that, read the entire whole of the, of the Bible. It's all going to just be like, no, you're messed up. Like you're jacked up. You're a sinner. You're broken. All of it. And so am I. That is just the reality. So if we try and see this as saying, well, I, I'm not evil. We're going to You're going to butt up against the whole of God's word. Thanks, Jess. Hey, guys, you know what? Thank Jess. She's incredible. Like, just a side note. I can't tell you what a gift she is to, to our church. Like, she's amazing. So if you see her, just buy her a donut or something. We cannot remove ourselves from this text as much as we'd like to. So what are we left with? What was Israel left with? Let's start there. All they had left in the midst of this was just the mercy of God. It wasn't their good deeds, because they didn't have them, or maybe they had some. It, it wasn't their identity that God had just, he had done the thing. And so there in God is, again, he's, he's establishing through Malachi. No, he's dividing up sheeps and goats here to use the New Testament language. He's saying in Israel, not all of you are Israel. All they had left is all we have left. And it's the mercy and grace of our God. And hear me, that is the most beautiful, amazing place to be because that guy has it in spades. His mercy and his grace for his rebellious creation overflows. It is by his very nature, he, he is mercy, he is grace. And so for Israel and for us, we land with this last part of the passage. Remember the law of my servant Moses, verses 4 through 6, if you're still following along, back in Malachi, chapter 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I command him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The end of all of Old Testament history that we get to be a fly on the wall to read through the prophet Malachi says, yeah, it acknowledges, okay, not explicitly here, but there will be 400 years of silence, but just wait, there's someone coming. Elijah's coming. If you don't know Elijah, Elijah was a, a prophet previous in the timeline and history of the people of Israel. And here's what we know about this Elijah. He was a type. Luke 1. Now, if you want to turn to Luke 1, just turn. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John after Malachi. So the third book away in the first chapter of the book of Luke. So it's probably like 50 pages maybe to your right. In Luke 1 verse 13, Okay. Luke 1, verse 13, this Elijah is spoken of. And it says this. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. We know him as John the Baptist. prepared, that way back 400 years before the arrival of Jesus, Malachi, through God, says there's coming a messenger who is going to announce that the Savior and Messiah has come because all you have left is my mercy and grace, and it will come in its fullness through my Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. All we have left is the hope that this actually happened. That now on the other side of it, 2,000 years post what happens in Luke, a baby was born and then lived for 30 plus years. A perfect life that you and I cannot live. In all the ways we are evil and sinful, he was not imperfect. In all the ways we deserved Death for our sin, Jesus took that upon himself at the cross. In all the ways that we should not have life because of the sin of our fathers and our own, we should not have new life, yet it is granted to us through the resurrection of Jesus, who after death raised three days later. Church, hear me. The call out is clear. Church, And it's not, hear me, like, and and here's the deal, look back on the last five weeks, it's not just today, God is calling his people to account that they would return to him. Now again, this is for all of us, it's not meant to be just singular, although we should think through that lens too, to repent and return to God in all areas of life. Say, Lord, like you own it all. It's all for you. The good news for us is that the mercy and grace is available to us now through Jesus. So the application point, not just of today, but of every sermon and of every, and that's why, hear me, that's why Malachi finishes up here, right? Remember the law given to Moses years and years ago, because all of that is culminating in what I'm about to do in 400 years. So church, love Jesus. Follow Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Jesus. And to give you some handles on what that means, because we say that term, we say it a lot here. We're like, ah, love Jesus, follow Jesus, right? To give you some handles on that. That's why your church exists. That's why we're here. We, I don't care that we have X amount of people here. I care that if you come, you're going to try, we're going to try and teach you how to follow Jesus. We don't care how many small redemption communities, we don't care how many we have. It's just that if you're there, you're learning how to pursue Jesus. Mentorship. On to, that's why the church exists, is to be able to come alongside you and say, yeah, it's weird and random for the preacher to come up on Sunday and say, love Jesus, follow Jesus, pursue Jesus, do all of that, Jesus, 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 and then say, good luck. No, it's be here, learn from his word feed yourself on his word, if you don't know how to study the Bible, well, guess what? We've got something for you that we're going to invite up here in just a moment. Do not forsake the gathering of God's people, Hebrews chapter 12. Why? Not because God needs a crowd. God wants you to know him and to experience his mercy and grace. If you're here and you're a Christian and you're just feeling distant from it, come talk. Plead and and, and like scream out for him during worship. He's here with you. If you're here and you've never known Christ, like a lot of this just still sounds kind of crazy. Come and talk to us. The Lord loves you, died for you, rose for you. His mercy and grace is for you. Come and be saved. And then for all of us, Here's an opportunity right now. You say, okay, I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. How do I do that better? I'm going to invite up Anthony and, right? No? Oh, dope, 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 dope. Dope, 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 I'm going to invite up Anthony. Anthony, will not you come up in about 20 minutes and do that for us? I appreciate that. Thanks, bud. In about 20 minutes, we're going to have something for you that's going to be really good. <laughs> Until then, let's pray. God, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for the moments <laughs> when we get to talk to each other and we get to open up your word that are led by you, Holy Spirit, and stuff that is just me being like foolish and dumb. We thank you for all of it because we get to be together and God, and that We don't just gather with the people we see. We gather with you whom we cannot see. But Lord, we know you're here. We know you gather and teach your people. So would you guide us and shape us as we respond now? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.